Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com slash sorgatronmedia. Over 75,000 titles to choose from for your iPod, iPhone, or MP3 player. Freedom. Take back your freedom! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Freelance for Real. I'm holding up the, l- the numbers. I'm holding up the fingers for the number four real. I'm Mike Sorg here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, along with... Uh, that would be me, Justin Kanaki, down here in Baltimore, Maryland. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, sir. It's been uh, a challenging week, but we are conquering all, as usual. Um, how about you in Baltimore? How 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 is it? Uh, it's good. It's a, it's a weird week for me too. I'm, uh, basically doing a month's worth of freelance in 48 hours. Uh, this being one of those 48 hours. So let's have a great show while that's I'm great. not working. That, that's great. Cause my, my, I've had a reverse challenge where I'm doing a month's worth of freelance across three months. So that oh. hasn't worked out too well. But anyways, <laughs> this is freelance for real. We record live Tuesdays every, every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern at live.sorgatronmedia.com where you can join us, you can comment, you can ask questions of our guests, ask questions of us when we're trying to find ourselves, as we have in recent weeks. Uh, you can also Twitter us any comments when you're uh, discovering this show uh, throughout the week at, at freelance, the number four real, uh, or freelance for real at sorgatronmedia.com if you want to use the email. You can find the show on iTunes, Mediafly, and now on Stitcher. I know a lot of people are picking us up on Stitcher. There are links over on SorgatronMedia.com. If you want to find out more about that app, please do so there. Now, with us this week is uh, somebody, a little bit of a catch-up for me. And I, I don't know about you, Justin, but I don't think I've talked with Matthew since Boot Camp in 2007. Boot Camp Pittsburgh, the old pod, pod camp spinoff uh, that was tried for a bit there. Uh, uh, I actually, uh, I intersected paths with Mr. Matthew Ebel uh, a year ago at the 140 conference in New York in which me... Matthew and CC Chapman wound up, uh, and let's just say at least one of us drank a little bit too much and it was me and, uh, had a, had a heart to heart about the future. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous. Well, maybe we'll dive a little bit into that. Matthew Ebel joining us from, it looks according to your Skype, you're up in Boston these days. Yeah, it was actually more of a heart to liver. I think that experience was. <laughs> yeah, I feel much better today. Oh, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Maybe we should drink a little bit. I got a, I got a box of wine that needs tapped. Um, Ooh. yep, yeah, it's it's been my new passion. Um, but anyways, hey, Matthew Ebel, uh, please, you know, tell people, you know, what what do you do? Uh, other than kill zombies on a nightly basis, no. uh, I am a freelance. I hate the word freelance and I hate the word independent because usually that means like, you know, couldn't get a job elsewhere to most people. <laughs> but I am a full time musician uh, and an entertainer and I'm I'm just dipping my toe into the world of fiction writing as far as uh, uh, professionally these days. But that is what I do. I'm a, I'm a musician and I have uh, uh, I have a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we were mentioning before the show started, I I, I was I kind of diving back. Like, so it's been a while since I talked to you, and I and I pulled up the old interview. I tweeted it out, so it was kind of a refresher. And I remember you at the time you were doing music on Second Life. Yeah, yeah. is that still it, happening? Not at all. Okay, um, <laughs> are people well, still on Second Life? I keep asking that, and I know many people who are still on Second Life, but you know, I also still know people who have an AOL.com email address too. So I don't know, <laughs> you know, what that's supposed to mean. Um, one of the big problems with performing on Second Life—it's awesome because you know you can you can 
set up your own cool venue and pick your own, you know, clothing and body. Even I, I never, I was never human in second life. Why the hell would I be human? Uh, you know, I was a, I was a bird, a piano playing bird in second life. The problem is that as soon as like 30 people show up to a show, the server crashes, Oh, you know, as soon as 30 people show up with all their like particle effects and, uh, and their, their bling and all the animations that they want to run during your show, like the server somewhere in second lifeville just catches on fire. So as soon as streaming, actual streaming web services came around, like Ustream, uh, and, uh, of course, you know, Justin TV, which is what I think you're running on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just couldn't do second life anymore. Wow. So, so where did you go from there? Uh, well, as far as streaming stuff goes, uh, straight to, straight to Ustream. Actually, at, uh, at Bootcamp Pittsburgh in 07, uh, Justine Zarek was running around with her MacBook, shoving it in people's faces and going, Hey, look, you're live on the internet right now. And like that, this was a brand new thing. <laughs> Nobody had been able to do something like that as simply as Ustream had, uh, anywhere and just you know i justine was just running around shoving it and shoving in people's faces and like uh uh, 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 okay i'm on the internet you know and uh, i was fascinated by that so i went home looked it up and started playing concerts all i had to do was hook up the same audio feed that i was using on second life and you know point a camera at my face and it became a downward downward spiral ever since (laughs) excellent excellent um you make it sound like a bad thing, Matthew. That the world can see you now. <laughs> well, it's like, you, like you'd rather be wearing a bird time. suit, being attacked by particles in second line. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's made me spend a lot more time in my basement than I probably should, because that's where my my studio is, is you know, down in the basement, uh, as opposed to devoting all of my resources to going out on the road and living in a van and starving to death while I'm trying to make a living that way. I suppose it's 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 a good thing that I I didn't go that route. Well, so explain to me real quick the economics of being a freelance musician. What is it that actually gets the bills paid in the end? Uh, well, that's that's the question right now, isn't it? Uh, I can give you the answer that's working for me, but I can't tell you what is working for the industry because in my industry, nothing's not nothing's fucking working. Um, it's just for me, it is strictly engagement with my fans. I've set up a system where. My super hardcore fans, you know, the, the Kevin Kelly thousand true fans, fans, um, those people get f- uh, live music for me every month. They get a goodie bag every year. They get an invite to my annual beer bash here at my studio every year. Uh, they get, you know, deluxe album packages, remixable stuff, exclusive videos, all that kind of stuff. And they get it as a paid subscription. Uh, at matthewebel.net. And that's like my bread and butter. And it's sort of a 50-50 split between that and actually just playing live shows. So it's, you know, right now it's, it's, it's not so much playing live shows, but CD sales at live shows, CDs and DVDs and shirts and anything I can bring to the live shows uh, that people can take home with them. So, so right now, now to me, that's always been the way though, right? Like merchandising, at the live shows ends up being more lucrative than being paid to play live normally, right? I actually don't get paid to play live usually. Uh, the the good shows that I play are at conventions, and I'm lucky. You know, I'm 
I, I'm not paid like a fee on top of getting there, but I, I won't I won't play like a big convention unless they're going to fly me down and put me up in a hotel room, you know, that kind of thing. They've got to cover my costs if I'm going to provide value for their convention, you know, like if I'm if I'm going to make the the experience for their attendees a, a lot more fun than, you know, at the very least, you know, put me up in a hotel and get me down there. Um now, how did you tap into the, uh, what I didn't even realize existed up until right now, the convention entertainment market? Uh, well, you know, I've, I've been, I've run in, in, you know, nerd circles pretty much my entire life. And one of the, one of the circles that I've been in for a very long time is, uh, uh the, the furry fandom, which is kind of like the pariah <laughs> of the, uh, the internet. But, you know, they, these are people that are, are, uh, very dedicated, and are a, a very fun group of people. I don't know how else to say it, you know. So I basically, you know, conventions that I was already going to just as a fan. Uh, and I've been to sci-fi conventions. I've been to Star Trek conventions. I've been to God only knows how many furry conventions now that I'm, I'm playing shows at a lot of them. Uh, and like they, I just started playing, you know, playing shows just at a convention I was going to anyway, because it was the local convention when I lived in Nashville. And some other convention uh, board at, uh, what was it, uh, Furry Weekend Atlanta, uh, they saw me, they picked me up, they said, hey, we, we'd love to have you out next year, we can, we can, you know, pay for your travel costs if you want to come down and play a show. And I did, and I played a show for like 12 people. <laughs> and it was awesome, you know, because nobody knew who I was. And then the next year, there were more people, and they brought me out again the year after that, and there were more people, and now I'm... I'm playing to like 350, 500, you know, people every convention I go to. So now can you real quick explain what furries are for those who may not be aware, Matthew? Uh, the, the furry fandom uh, is made up of people who are into animal characters the way that Star Trek convention goers are into <laughs> uh, Klingons and the way, uh, uh, you know, Dragon Con goers are into uh, big fat guys dressing up in Sailor Moon costumes. So it's, it's just the same, the same class of nerd, only instead of into Star Wars or Doctor Who, it's the, the Lion King or Pokemon or God help us all, My Little Pony. It's funny that as you explain that, my dog started barking. <laughs> okay. So you've tapped into, uh, that market as like a recurring, um, way to drive fans, right? A, a way to uh, attract new fans to you on a regular basis. And then are you doing anything to convert these people that you're meeting at live events, at live shows, at conferences to become online fans of you? How does that pipeline work? Oh, of course. I mean, you know, I send out the, the speaking strictly from a business sense, you know, the, the bottom, uh, or not, not the bottom, the, 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 the entry level for the, uh, uh, the the engagement here is, of course, the email list. You know, like Chris Penn and John Wall keep saying, you live and die by your house list. So the number one way that people stay in touch with me, I guess, is my my email list. It's either that or Twitter, but email is just so much, so much more. It's such a better platform for actually conversing with people than uh, I, conveying in depth information, at least, than via Twitter. Twitter is more real time, but email. I, I, I talk to these people. I let them know that I'm doing shows online. I let them know that I'm, you know, sending out an exclusive track or a video just got posted, that kind of thing. I mean, it's, I, all these years later and all these different technologies that come out, what is it now? Google plus 
being beamed directly into microchips inside your brain. And yet the thing that still actually makes most of the difference is just emailing people and getting emails back from them and talking to them, you know, actually being social. Oh, well, yeah. I, you know, for all the social media stuff that's out there, uh, actually talking to people is the number one thing that, that gets anywhere, you know? Yeah. It's funny when you think about like Twitter and Facebook are supposed to be where we go to be more social because it is real time and it's an immediate exchange. Yet mm-hmm. the email feeling somewhat antiquated these days, it's interesting when you get an email back from someone, it's like, Oh, they took the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to send that. Once upon a time, we looked at email as the thing that killed actual communication, like actual letters and cards. But now when you get an email, it's almost like, oh, look, you know, they care enough to send that much. Yeah, oh, no quaint. kidding. Well, and it's, especially if it's somebody that, you know, you're you're trying to get in touch with, uh, you know, so, so some, when, when you're trying to, to reach somebody that, that you might be able to help out or they might be able to help you out, like when they, if you know that they're busy and they actually take the time to email you back about something, like that, that makes my day, you know. Okay, because you knew it took them time. They sat there, they read it, they reread it, they edited it, they thought about it a little bit, they put it in the drafts folder, they came back to it. Yeah, right. I mean, even if it's like a two-word reply. I had a nice little... Uh, loathing the political loathing experience recently when I, I emailed both of my my sitting senators and uh, all I got back of course from both of them was a form letter that was obviously just regurgitated by an intern if they had taken the time to give me just a one-line response like that you could tell would actually be from the senator that would have made a huge world of difference, and I might have voted for either of them. You know, and, and it's so sad. Being especially, you know, public office is such a. I mean, is there no uh, uh, more customer service based uh, uh, position you can have than being a public official like that? Well, it's quite literally elected. a popularity contest. Yeah, yeah, and, and to not take the time to to consider the people that are your constituents and and just kind of. You know, kind of ham handling, handling the mass of them. And I understand these guys got to get, you know, so many emails from, from people like that saying, you know, I don't like this. I don't like that. But there just needs to be a little bit more in place to be considered. Yeah. And the one thing that freelancers and small outfits can use as an advantage far, far more than Bank of America or Starbucks or, you know, major politicians or anybody like that is be a freaking human being. You know, yeah, exactly. That's that's the edge that you've got while you're while you can still actually devote your time to your customers. And in my case, my fans and my friends. So walk me through, Matthew, the uh, the ideal process. Let's say a human being came to you at a show. What Mm -hmm. in your mind would be the ideal process from them discovering you live or discovering you online to becoming a, uh, a valuable fan in the sense that they're also contributing to your, you know, financial well-being. Um, the first thing I would say is what, you know, what, what pickup artists say about, you know, like, like hitting on women, if you want to, and, and by, by proxy, the same thing that, you know, professional like networking coaches will, will tell you about going to a business events. Uh, you can make yourself more interesting to people by listening to them. You know, if you let somebody tell you their life story, and you actually listen to them. They're going to they're going to remember you more fondly than if you're mm-hmm. talking at them about how interesting your stuff is. 
And that definitely goes a long way. Now, if you can remember what they say later, that helps. I'm not so good at that. Uh, I usually have to take notes. But, you know, uh, just just being, a, like I said, just be a person, just be a human being with that person, you know, make that that personal connection with them. Uh, after that, you know, like I said, I, I try and get them if they're not buying a CD right then and there at the show, I try and get them on the mailing list because then at the very least I can reach out to them later, you know, and uh, and also send them some free shit, too. So that helps. <laughs> but uh, the the ideal the ideal way to handle a new person who comes up to me and usually, you you know, I haven't had anybody come up to me after a show like, yeah, I've never heard you before. You suck. Seriously, stop. Um, I've never had that happen. So usually it's somebody who I've already made a good impression on. You know, it's not like a complete. So what do you do? You know, they're they're coming up to me already sort of mildly converted, if not already converted. That's true. Um, if they're going to take the effort to come up to you, they've been right. interested in what you've, you've been doing. You know, they, they got hooked on your free advertisement of playing. So now yeah. they want to take you up in the offer of getting to know you better. Right. Exactly. The, the, you know, because the, most of the big shows that I play are at conventions, people are getting into that event for free. If they don't like what they're hearing, they're walking out already, you know, before the end of the show. And that, you know, that happens and that's fine. I, if they don't like me, I don't want them in the crowd, you know, make more seats available for the people that are going to like me. Um, so it's, it's kind of nice, you know, the playing conventions like that is kind of nice because those people that are there, they're there to enjoy themselves and they're already an engaged crowd. And the ones that are left over at the end of the show, you know, which the, the last few convention shows I've played has been, like I said, like, you know, a few hundred to, to 500 people uh, at a time. Those people are all people that enjoyed themselves and had a good time. And you can't really make a, uh, you can't really ask for a better like lead generation than people who have had a good time based off of what you've been doing. And so when they come up to me afterwards, they're already in a good mood, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So you've got to, so, you've got to delight your potential fans from the get go then, and then keep delighting them over time. So they keep remembering to spend money on you. Yeah. And that's, God, what, what, that's what a lifelong the... situation, because it's very different from like having a gig or a, a one off job like you've, it, it's nonstop uh, client pleasure in a way. <laughs> I think I'm going to use that on business cards, actually. Matthew, that's good. Yeah. Nonstop client pleasure. <laughs> Speaking of client pleasure, I remember you used to do um, jingles as well. Is that still in your repertoire? Or have you moved on from the uh, doing work for uh, videos and, and other online media? Um, I still do that. I don't really go out and look for that kind of business, but when people come to me, I, I am, you know, only too happy to do, uh, works for hire stuff. You know, I didn't get into this, this line of work. You know, I didn't start taking piano lessons at age five to write jingles for other people, but it's not like I don't enjoy doing that kind of work. You know, the, the studio work is definitely fun. Um, I really haven't done a lot of that stuff since like, Oh eight, oh nine. You know, it's been a it's been a couple of years now since I've really done uh, jingles, strictly because uh, it takes all my time trying to promote and book like my music. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and oh yeah, you have to. It, it, that's the same problem I think we all face. Is you're stuck between 
tracking down work you know will pay the bills versus finding ways to make what you'd like to do self-sufficient enough that you can do it on your own without having to pimp it constantly. Right, exactly. It's, you know, like I could, I could easily pay my bills by going out and getting some shitty day job right now. But the more time I spend trying to grow my audience and the more time I spend trying to make better art, then that is, that's something that will pay off in the long run. You know, it's like eating a bunch of sugar versus eating, you know, complex carbohydrates and protein, you know, the sugar will actually keep you going and the caffeine will actually keep you going. But eventually you're, you're just going to burn yourself out on that. You have to get something that will pay off in the long run and, you know, build some muscle mass for your business, you know, actually get, you know, get, uh, uh, well-made albums under your belt, actually get, uh, fans that are engaged with what you're doing so that you can, you can call on them to evangelize to other people, that kind of thing. This sounds like the Atkins diet of a music career. Yeah. Well, if you've seen me lately, you know, I don't exactly, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not exactly a Herculean figure here. <laughs> it's too many beach shows, Matt. You know, whatever, whatever happened to the, uh, the summer long beach gigs, are those still in the, uh, in the pipeline as well? Um, no, actually, uh, I, for a while, Let's see. I did. I did the the beach gigs for like two years, but like that again. Being a meat based jukebox is not exactly what I wanted to do. <laughs> no, that's true, and it's a it's a fine distinction to make. You know, if you're going to be a freelance musician or freelance artist who's creating their own work versus parroting the work of others, that determines you know how people are going to perceive you. So if you're going to yeah. start saying no to doing covers, you've got to make sure you can convert your own material into something that's going to sell on its own. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not to say I didn't have fun doing the beach gigs because, I mean, you're out there in, in the sunlight on the beach. You know, there's people in swimwear dancing around for crying out loud in front of you having a good time and drinking beer while you're singing. I mean, you know, there in many respects, it does not get any better than that. And because you're doing a cover gig, the pay is usually pretty phenomenal. The problem is that it's four hours a day, five days a week of somebody else's music and like you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to play my music and in 08, which was the last year that I did that particular gig in 08, I, I came up with the subscription idea to try and keep my fans engaged with what I'm doing rather than, uh, with the stuff that I'm making rather than just stuff that I'm, you know, repeating. And I've been trying to make that into uh, a serious profitable business ever since and it's been profitable and it's almost gotten to the point where that alone can actually pay all of my bills you know i'm not quite there yet i want to i want to double or triple my subscriber base before i'll call it a real success but uh it's it's definitely been worthwhile and more worthwhile than trying to learn lady gaga covers <laughs> well in terms of being a success though with the subscriber base this reminds me of something that uh, Steve Klabnik was talking about on our show a couple weeks ago, Mike, where if you can keep your own cost of living down, uh, you need far fewer fans to buy into your work to be successful in the first place. So yeah. are, how, how are you – what's the right way I want to phrase this? How are you looking at acquiring new fans and boosting your subscriber base and the revenues that brings – with your need to reinvest in your own business? Like, do you always need to be buying new equipment to stay competitive? Do you always need to be practicing more, buying more studio time? Uh, and it, like, do you have to keep, it's almost like, it, like the matrix. You need to keep feeding new fans into that matrix to power the whole machine. 
Well, fortunately, the um, uh, as far as like the, the equipment thing goes, you know, God bless technology. Uh, I have honestly not picked up a whole lot of new studio equipment since 2007. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I picked up some new software, but the the technology that's available to independent musicians allows me to make professional grade albums for like no money. You know, it is dirt cheap. All it takes is time and and biology. You need to have good ears and the ability to mix. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I haven't paid really, for studio time. It's really down to skill rather than the technology now. Right, right. I mean, considering, you know, the the album that most of my fans really liked and got them into me in the first place is Beer and Coffee. I recorded that in GarageBand in 2005. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like that, I've got better tools now and I've gotten way better at mixing my own stuff now. But the the technology is no longer a barrier and studio time is really only required if you don't know how to engineer and you don't have a friend that can engineer for you. Um, as far as, you know, uh, subsidizing bigger and better things on the road, you know, I definitely do need to pick up more fans, but the thing is, it's not, it's not, uh, an unreasonable amount of people. Kevin Kelly really did hit it right on the head. If I had a thousand subscribers, um, you know, right now I'm honestly only at about a hundred subscribers at, at various levels at MatthewEvil.net. That's not to say I only have a hundred fans. These are the people who have told themselves, I am going to like everything that this guy puts out. I really am into this guy. I'm, I'm going to sign up and get everything he puts out. So I'm at a hundred people who have made that commitment right now. If I can make that a thousand people, I would tour for free, you know, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making a comfortable living at that point. Uh, I am, I, that could easily pay for gas money, uh, a full-time drummer, you know, to, to join me on the road, a full-time, you know, engineer slash merch table person, you know, booth babe, whatever. And that would, that would easily sustain indie touring. Anything above that would just be gravy, even CD sales, you know? So it's like, it's, it's not like I need to get 20 million fans in order to be a profitable, comfortable, uh, entertainment business. It's, a much easier task these days with modern technology, modern communications and modern thinking than it was even 10 years ago. I think it's interesting because it really goes along to a lot of the kind of freemium stuff. It's really those dedicated fans are funding it and for other people to experience it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, so does that mean that you're investing the bulk of your time in new fan acquisition, or does it mean that you're splitting your time between acquiring new fans and keeping the existing subscribed fans happy? Because if you don't do that, then you start to dwindle your base. But if you spend too much time on that, you can't build it. How do you find that balance? Honestly, I haven't found that balance. I've been spending the last three years uh, focusing on the latter, really trying to make the, the, uh, the subscribers happy. And I've found that that actually... I have actually been suffering in the the growth side of things. And, you know, I've been talking to, to Chris Penn and John Wall and anyone else I can about, you know, marketing, basically, because I'm a musician. I'm not a marketer. Everything I know about marketing, I learned from my marketing friends. Um, 
And, and I have learned to not, to fight the urge to, you know, want to go wash my hands anytime I shake the hand of a marketer. Uh, and a lot of people can't get over that. Um, you know, they, they, they all come across as sort of like used car salesmen at first, but then when you, you get to know some of them, like, especially, you know, like Chris Penn and CC Chapman and, and John Wall, those are three guys that like, wow, they're really smart and they're not slime balls. And I thought all marketing people had to be slime balls. So, you know, I'm, I'm learning any tricks I can from them to grow my audience because they're good at what they do. And, uh, I want to be good at growing my fans without coming across as that slimeball musician who does nothing but spam his Twitter feed. Hey, listen to my crap, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, but, uh, you know, how do you find that uh, happy medium between self-promoting your stuff and still being personable? Because if you stop reminding people that you exist and you're creating media, they can take it for granted that they don't even need to spread the word about you either. There's almost like this implied, um, if you don't ask for the like, if you don't ask for them to spread the word for you, they presume that you don't need it. And in reality, you might be relying on them, you know, in well, an unspoken way to say, hey, check this guy out. And that's something I'm, I'm actually kind of afraid to ask. Like, I don't want to seem shameless and self-promoting all the time, even though you, I kind of have to be. So I'm, you know, to... Not to give you a non-answer, but I am still working on that. I mean, it is a difficult balance to find. And, you know, like I said about how I'm earning a living, what works for one person is not going to work for everybody. So what what balance I find with my fans, my fans, you know, I have a, I have a very low tolerance for bullshit. I refuse to blow smoke up people's ass. And I think that my fans are also those kind of people. I think a lot of them are into my vibe because they are zero bullshit people. You know, I've started using the Twitter hashtag zero BS uh, a lot just because I'm sick of it in politics. I'm sick of it in business. And God knows when I was in Nashville, BS, there was so much BS you could slip on it walking down the street. I mean, the music industry is full of bullshit. So... I don't know. I, I need to ask my, I think I need to, to ask my fans more than I have been and trust that they will see that I'm not, you know, being shameless and self-promoting. I, I really do need their help to act as evangelists so that you may see more of that in the future. Uh, and if any of my fans are watching right now live or in the chat room or listening to this podcast, you know, 20 weeks later, uh, after I've been hit by a bus or something like that, it doesn't matter. Keep, keep tweeting about this stuff. You know, if you like a song, I really do because I don't have a label doing this stuff for me, you know, freelancers, indie, indie musicians, you are our label. You are the people that will make us successful by going out and finding other, other fans who haven't heard of us. And that's, that's an important factor because people buy music mostly based on word of mouth, mostly based on a friend or a trusted source going, Hey, I know what you like. You know, I have an idea of what you like. I think you'll like this. The only, you know, non friend way I've seen that does that adequately is Pandora's uh, recommendation engine, you know, Pandora dot uh, Pandora radios. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, what is it? The, the music genome project. Have so, you uh, played it all with uh, Turntable FM yet? <laughs> I've, I've played a little bit with it. I haven't had a chance to uh, screw around with it too much. But I know you like walked into rooms and dropped your own music on people and then left. <laughs> um, 
Uh, kind of. I mean, like I, I made a, a turntable room where I threw in a bunch of my stuff and Jeff Smith and Ben Folds and Keen and a bunch of piano rock stuff. And I, I just haven't made it like a hangout, you know, it doesn't, it's not really, it's not really something I've, I've toyed with a whole lot. So, yeah. Cause uh, you hit on a, on an important head there uh, when you were talking about the difficulty in a certain way of reaching out to your fans and saying, Hey, I still need you to spread the word for me. I think those of us who are uh, self-promotional artists have difficulty sometimes in looking at our work objectively and saying, oh yeah, no, this is totally worth promoting. Because on one hand, you look at it and you're like, well, I know what all the flaws are because I made it. So I don't want to point them out to other people. And if I mention it to other people, they might notice there's flaws in this too. So I'm just going to let it speak for itself. And then on the other hand, you feel like, well, if I'm always trying to beat my own drum, I look desperate. But the truth is, Unless you're paying a publicist or a promotional person to promote your work for you, you have to almost step outside of yourself and say, okay, I'm, I'm taking off the artist hat now. I have made the product, and now I'm going to put on the business guy hat and go out there and sell it to people and and pretend that I'm not emotionally involved with it. It's a really hard thing to do, I find. Yeah, it's it's really difficult for me because I find my I, I end up loathing myself at the end of the day if I spend too much time doing the marketing shit, but it's it's stuff that needs to be done. And I don't ever want my fans to feel like I'm marketing to them. You know, I want to do what it takes to entertain them and to give them an escape from, you know, the sometimes shitty reality that we live in. But I think a lot of this comes down to expectations, though, too, because you think or I think that we know what fans are expecting from us as creators. But. What if the fans experience was reframed in a certain way and you, they realize that they are, you know, whether it's uh, explicitly or implicitly, they realize that they are sort of responsible for your success. If they right. don't contribute in some way, there is no Matthew Ebel music to be heard, right? Well, so I it's not like a hostage situation or a blackmail. It's more like a, hey, we're partners in this together. I'm giving you the opportunity to keep this relationship continuing. Actually, it you, you hit the nail right on the head uh, with the MatthewEbel.net. You know, my main website's at MatthewEbel.com. Uh, but the subscription thing at MatthewEbel.net, there's different tiers of subscription. And the higher end ones are the VIPs, uh, the Robot Army, and a select group of five people I call the Entourage. These people I invite out to my beer bash, but every year I do – at the beer bash, I do a town hall meeting. I treat them like my board of directors. You know, I actually every year at this this uh, party, you know, we go, we tour a brewery, we come back, we eat some some awesome food. Uh, last couple of years, my my friend Justin, who's an awesome Italian chef, cooked up some food out on the porch for us, and uh, we drank my beer that I brewed. And then afterwards, we have we sit down, we have this meeting, and I lay it out for them, like, look, this is what I thought I was going to be able to do last year. These are things that I did, wasn't quite able to come through on. Sorry about that. You know, again, zero bullshit. I, I'm I try to be upfront with my shortcomings as much as I am about promoting myself. And then, you know, these are things that I did come through on. How did you like those? And I get the feedback directly from these people who are my top tier supporters. And then I lay down, this is what I'd like to do next year. Will, does this sound like something you would support? And what else, you know, can, is there something else that you would like to see me do? I was surprised after the first couple of years 
you know, a few people were saying, we'd like you to make a tier that's more than the, that costs more than the 150 bucks a year for being a VIP because we want to support, we want to, we want to support you more tangibly. Like, oh, oh, you, okay. <laughs> I won't well, say that's no like, that. that's like the patron system from, you know, the old school days when, when, um, portrait artists would have patrons who would essentially pay for everything as long as they painted a picture of their wife, you know? Oh, wow. Exactly. That's, that's my entourage. These are the people that get executive producer credit on my albums, you know, and they get a custom written song and they, you know, I try to treat them as, as best as I possibly can. You know what I mean? Um, the, uh, oh, I was well, where you can, where you this. can run into problems though, I would, I would guess is so it's great to have the board of directors. It's great to have a group of advisors you feel you can keep close to the vest and sort of say, okay, the Matthew Ebel experience is intended to be this. Is this something you would jive with and, and want to support? But if you open those floodgates up to feedback from, you know, to equal levels of feedback from all of your fans, all of a sudden it almost becomes like Matthew Ebel artist by committee. And right. where does, <laughs> does Matthew Ebel, the director of his own ship, stop? And where does the fan experience where they drag it all out of you begin? You know? Yeah, my, you know, Amanda Palmer wrote a blog post about that with one of her recent albums, uh, or with the, I think it was with the, the, the eight and eight thing that she did with Ben Folds, Neil Gaiman, and, and uh, what's his name from OK Go. Uh, if you try to direct a creative, uh, a creative business, like being a musician or being a designer or something like that, strictly on the whims of your fans, you will, you will drive yourself insane. And I try to make it clear to people that, you know, even, even, you know, my entourage, I try to make it clear to them, like, I, I want your feedback, but I, I am not going to be a marionette. You know, I, you are, you are a fan because of my expression and I'm not going to just turn myself into an instrument of your expression. But on the other hand, I want to know like what kinds of things that they would like, you know, as part of that expression. It's more like you, you have people that bought into your own focus group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, they are, they're basically investing their, their money. Some of them are paying, you know, upwards of 500 bucks a year for some indie artist to keep him in business. And these are the people that I want to go back to and say, Hey, how am I doing? Is there something else that is there something you feel that's, that's lacking? And, you know, one thing I was really surprised about, I started doing live video game streams because a lot of my fans are, are video game nerds, you know, which makes sense because I'm a video game nerd. Um, one thing that, that surprised me was a lot of the VIPs said, you know what, we'd love for you to make like an invite only group so that some of us can, you know, can play with you online, you know, while you're doing your, uh, your video game stream. So if I'm doing like Left 4 Dead or Team Fortress 2 or something like that, they have the, op my fans now have the opportunity to shoot me. Uh, <laughs> Which is something, and it's, I'm like, this is, this is like, a, and I asked it, like, this is a perk that you, you would consider worth, you know, paying money for as part of being a VIP. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's cool. I can make that an exclusive thing. So, you know, like I've got, I've got a, an invite only VIP Steam group now that the, the, the MatthewEvil.net VIPs are, uh, uh, are invited to be a part of. And we're going to, we're going to start rolling that out. I don't know how might maybe do like scheduled tournaments or something like that. We'll, we'll figure that out. But like, that's something that they said that they would be interested in. 
and I'm going to do what I can to deliver on that. You know, and that's not something that that involves them writing my albums for me. I mean, for for Pete's sake, I'm I'm just playing video games at night with them. You know, it's not like it's not like they are directing the creative output at that point, but they are, that was their suggestion and it's something I can implement. And I think it's going to be a hell of a lot of fun doing that. So, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I listen to, uh, listen to my super fans, my, my Uber dedicated fans. And I try to do whatever they tell me, you know, it's in that way. It's almost like they are playing Matthew Ebel, the game. Yeah. Right. You, you are their avatar. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> and uh, apparently, uh, uh, you're about to to cop my idea. I'm watching Twitter right now. Yes, <laughs> I'm I really dig- I'm really digging this idea. We well, we get together and do some uh, Quake Three or the, the new Quake Three live. Oh, oh my God, For Quake Three! Holy crap, I haven't seen that since. Well, they that, uh, they uh, they made it a free now a pay thing, and it's in, works in the browser. So we're like, yeah, it's free. Let's go play on a dude. certain night. And uh, and I know there's a lot of gamers amongst our. Uh, Amongst our, uh, our crew members around here, so it's like, man, nice. that's, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> very nice, very nice. And I know I don't play enough video games as I should. Now give me a reason to, so, <laughs> you know. Um, I like the I like the marry the uh, the the business with the uh, ideas with the you know the fun. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to me it's a it's about giving the fans what they want, but mm-hmm. it's it's not. I'm not just going to start taking direct you know, direct direction from, from people, you know, it's like Apple. If Apple put everything in the iPad or the iPhone that everybody had asked for, Mm -hmm. they'd have a mess. They put in what they put into the iPad, like what works, you know, and most of the people are going to like that. And if they don't like it, there are other options that they can go for, but like, you know, you look at the other options and yeah, it's got all these features. Yes, you can actually put an SD card in there, but mm, it doesn't work as well. You know, and I'm not trying to be an Apple fanboy. I'm just using them as an example of like they they listen to people. But boy, do they not just like open the suggestion box and implement everything that comes in, mm-hmm. you know, hardly. Otherwise, you would have been able to copy and paste right from iPhone one. Mm-hmm. But it probably would have been a mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Anyway, well, in- next- incidental branding advice there. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no joke. Exactly. Branding branding is one of the, the hardest things, by the way. Like that's that's a discussion that I have not been able to figure out a solid like brand, you know, on, on a level, on like an entertainer level, like Adam Lambert has, like Amanda Palmer has, and certainly not like Dr. Steele has ever. And I'm that's something that I am currently really engaged in is trying to figure out what a good solid Matthew Ebel brand could be. What do I stand for? And the, you know, I've been having conversations with my roommate who's a designer and just, you know, a brilliant, uh, brilliant creative mind. Um, I've been, you know, talking with other artists about this kind of thing. And I think that is, if you're a freelancer, that's gotta be something that, that you have to find something that makes you stand out and rally behind that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that's an incredibly difficult proposition. So if well, you part, have of, part of it is figuring out what you want to stand for. And part of it is figuring out what you do well. Right. And yeah. what is what is the audience responding to? Well, yeah. You know, I mean, like uh, like I said, like Dr. Steele, you know, the whole mad scientist steampunk thing. Well, obviously, you know, the man, the, the man, the myth, the legend 
It's a fictional character. Uh, the guy is not actually named Dr. Steele, but uh, he has chosen a character that resonates with a group of people and is something that his music, you know, really jives with. It's a, it's a vibe that his music really jives with. Mm -hmm. That branding now dictates everything from graphic design to uh, lyrical content to musical content to costuming to communications. I mean, it's, there is, uh, like, like Penn and Wall say, your brand is your emotional aftertaste that you leave behind. The Dr. Steele brand is a tangible entity that, you know, makes it, I would assume makes it easy for, for this guy to continue doing what he's doing. The writers at Seinfeld, this is kind of an odd parallel, but roll with me on this one. The writers at for Seinfeld said that they really didn't have any trouble writing the show because they had created these characters and all they had to do was throw some kind of minor, like average ordinary daily setback at them and let the characters do what those characters would naturally do. And an episode would write itself. Mm -hmm. So if you can create for your company, for your brand, you know, or, or for your, whatever you're doing, some kind of some kind of flag that you know that that will will direct everything that you do it's going to be a lot easier and it's going to be a lot easier to sell that to to the right people in the end and it, and it's oh, some, yeah. something like that like kind of correlating something like Dr. Steele or these characters to Matthew Ebel I mean really instead of yeah, okay you know they've had to create this character so really uh, you're, I think you're more at the ground level. This is Matthew Evil. This is who I am, and this is how I react. And maybe it's not as hard to market as as you as you're thinking. Maybe maybe you're you're trying to create something on top of what's really just you. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you know, that that is one thing that's very difficult for for me. I'm not like a cartoon character yeah. kind of guy. I'm not you're, you're, a. You're not uh, you're not trying to put the face of the insane clown posse on you or something. You know. Yeah, exactly. It's, 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 yeah. But branding, yes. you know, it comes down to not only what are you standing for, but what are you, what are you saying no to? Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, for example, taking Dr. Steele, like there are certain places that would probably not ask him to come and play, right? There, there are certain doors <laughs> he is closing on purpose so that others will know that he is available. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's the, it's the question that you would have to ask yourself as Matthew Ebel, the brand is, where you know where's my wheelhouse where is the direction that i want to push in and does that mean that i have to say no to other things you've already said no to doing jingles in the past or you've you've said no to doing uh you know the beach gigs recently you're starting to figure out what isn't necessarily in your best interests yeah. so if you can figure out what is that's the the bold step you can take is say i am the guy who does this and does this really well and this is the persona and if that means you don't want me to do these other things that's okay because i'm choosing to not do them yeah the thing that I've, the thing that, that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of centering around as far as this, this discussion goes is not just finding, you know, finding what you want to do and not just finding, you know, who you are, but finding something that resonates with other people to a point that makes them, uh, you know, makes them as, as uh, who is it? Godin, Seth Godin, Seth Godin yeah. wrote about the, uh, uh tribes i think that that was his book mm -hmm. that would make them want to be part of your tribe you know make them actually 
you have to find something that resonates with a group of people so well that they will follow you to the ends of the earth. And that is a difficult, difficult proposition that I, but you don't do that by committee though. You don't, you don't do that by saying, what do we all agree is something we can all go ahead and do. What you really do is create a show like Mad Men, which nobody was asking for. And then when people find it, they're like, holy fuck, I've been looking for this forever. Yeah. You know? So you need to figure out as Matthew Ebel, I would think, or any freelancer has to figure out as a designer, as a, you know, actor, as a programmer, where do I really want to go? And then because I'm so freaking visibly passionate about it, people will follow me. If yeah. you're not, if you don't know what that is yet, maybe you haven't stumbled across it. Nashville, Tennessee is full of very talented musicians, very, very talented people who, who look pretty. They're all young. They dress very well. And they have no branding and they're not going to get any attention whatsoever because there's nothing that separates them from all of the other young, pretty, talented people that show up on those stages day in, day out. And that's, it's honestly one of the reasons I left Nashville is because like I, you know, I, I didn't want to try and stand out in a crowd that that's our, our, that's already that oversaturated by, I also to be, you know, to be honest, I needed to find who I was. I needed to, needed to find what my, my flag that I'm going to fly really is. And, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely something that takes a lot of soul searching and I'm searching my soul right now. And thank God I've got people helping me with this because sometimes you need that third person perspective if you're the guy hanging that picture on the wall, you can't really tell if it's perfectly straight, but the guy standing 10 feet behind you can tell you, you know? This is true. God, you're so full of wisdom, Matthew Ebel. I'm so glad you're part of our show today. <laughs> I'm using all of it, by the way. I'm going to be empty at the end of this. <laughs> well, you know, at least you got it all out on a, on a recorded form. It's yeah. proof. It did exist. Exactly, exactly. Matthew, you uh, throw out there how... how can people find you all the many, many ways? Well, the bet your best bet is to go to MatthewEbel.com. If you've never heard me before, go to MatthewEbel.com slash welcome. And that'll give you <laughs> your basic primer, some song samples, and you know, uh, I'll actually give you an entire uh, uh, the best impression that I can make inside of 30 seconds. And from there, that page will tell you where else you can go to learn more about me. But that's that's going to be your best bet. MatthewEvil.com slash welcome. And, of course, he's on Twitter. He's on Facebook. He's on everything important. You can find you can find all that stuff right there. YouTube links, you know, LinkedIn links, Twitter links, Facebook links. Not doing Google Plus uh, from there yet. I'm waiting for them to roll out the, the corporate page. Yes. Stuff so I can make the Matthew Ebel brand page. I've got a personal page, obviously, but I'm only really adding people that are real friends. I've learned from Facebook. <laughs> it really does feel like Google Plus is the, 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 the second chance everybody went on Facebook. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Everybody check him out. Matthew, Matthew amongst other places. <laughs> It's been a pleasure talking to you guys again, and uh, hopefully I'll see the the two of you at some social media conference or maybe even a furry convention one of these days. Who knows? Hey, there's oh, the yeah. one in Pittsburgh. There's they've, <laughs> they've got a big one there. They got I'm, a big I'm one. Be we always there next year. We yeah. always hang out in the uh, in 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 the uh, lobby, just furry watching. 
exactly. It's well, tremendous. if you come, let me know. I'll uh, I'll uh, see if I can get you into my show. I doubt it, but we'll see. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew Evil, for joining us. And uh, if you're enjoying the show and want to support us in some way, uh, we are uh, of course have affiliates with Audible.com. You can go to AudiblePodcast.com/slash/SorgatronMedia. And you can get a free 14-day trial, no risk. You get an, a free audio book that you keep, regardless if you stick around with the service or not. It's a great way to check it out, see if audiobooks are for you. There's over 100,000 of them on there, uh, especially if you're into finding, you know, kind of better methods, better better ways to wrap your head around things. Uh, there are a lot of uh, books, you know, from from thinkers like us, like Seth Godin, uh, Lynchpins on there. Uh, you know, Seth Godin, that, that uh, Mr. Evil uh mentioned just a little bit ago but your pick for this week man i should have picked the seth godin book because i read a couple of them malcolm gladwell's outliers this is one uh the, the story of success is the, is the subtext here um it's this is what i heard about for a while before i finally got a chance to pick it up uh justin i think you you've heard of this too probably oh yeah i'm familiar with uh, a lot of gladwell's work right and this is, this is my first first uh, uh, delving into, into a Gladwell book. Uh, basically, it, it, some of the stuff I took away, it, it, what is an outlier? The people are successful. Uh, I mentioned the Beatles. Um, there, there's, a, there's a really good section in there where they talk about um, um, uh, you know programmers and Bill Gates and why were they successful where others with the same skills maybe weren't and the opportunities uh, that were presented to them. It's a really fascinating look on these people and how they became successful and and how you know opportunities or coincidence and 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 lineage and it, it's 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 a really good read really good read uh so will it make you feel better about yourself will it make i don't know about making you feel better about yourself maybe motive it depends how you take it because i read this book and it was like okay so these people came across an opportunity that they were able to capitalize on so my reading of that is I need to create more opportunities or be better prepared for the ones that you come across or be better prepared and be very mobile when those opportunities present themselves. Don't sleep on them because you never know what's going to lead you to something like that. You know, I mean, you look at, you know, music, you know, uh, uh, you know, we, we work a lot with actors uh, with the baristas, you know, I, what, what's going to what's going to take for one of them to become the next Tom Cruise. Is it coincidence? Is it taking an opportunity? You never know, you know. And I think it's a really kind of interesting way to look upon uh, that kind of stuff here on Outliers. So Outliers, the story of success. If I can get that out there, you can get it for free and support the show and everything we do here at SorgatronMedia.com at AudiblePodcast.com slash SorgatronMedia. Justin, I think it's been a great show tonight. tonight? I've learned a lot. I, I have. I have. I, I need to talk more with Mr. Evil. And, and steal more of his ideas, apparently. Um, but maybe we should drink less with him because it tends to last for a long time. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. So please go check him out, MatthewEvil.com. And you can uh, uh, give us feedback. What did you think about what he had to say about we what we've had to say the last few weeks? We're, of course, here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, live.sorgatronmedia.com. If you're able to sneak in there, you want to get on the chat room. I've seen a couple of you guys have been watching here today. Um, and also you can email us freelance for real at sorgatronmedia.com. Tweet us at freelance for real, the number four, of course. And, uh, and of course, all of our past shows are over at freelanceforreal.com. We're on, uh, iTunes, Mediafly, Stitcher, and, 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 and there's a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. I, I feel like this show has made us grow as people. 
and I hope you have too. So grow that was that was grow, not groan. Grow, grow, grow. Justin, I know you got a new episode of The Baristas is up as of yesterday. Indeed, we do. Yeah, we're heading towards the uh, 20th episode, which should close out our first season. So Ooh. all of our loose ends are getting even more frayed. It's, it's a good time. <laughs> it's building. It sounds like it's going to end up with a bang. I can't wait. Can't wait to be done with it. Um, <laughs> it's been a long summer. That it has hasn't been quite a long yet, summer. Yeah. It has been a long <laughs> summer. But I think there's a, there's a great show there uh, that we can all look back on and say, damn it, we did that. Um, and of course, uh, everything going on, uh, sorgatronmedia.com. We got new unsung. We got a new show going on, uh, called the Seclair Chatterbox and a few other things. So go, go check out everything. There's just a, just a bunch of stuff going on over there. You do too much. It's just, it's too much. Too much. Go do that. Uh, so thanks for, uh, Mike Sorg here in Pittsburgh, PA. And Justin Kanaki in Baltimore, Maryland. We'll see you guys next week. Freelance for real. Take back your free-